Kane. Welcome, welcome everybody back to another episode of the Handsome Home Buyer Podcast. I'm your host, Charles, aka the Handsome Home Buyer, aka Captain Permit, aka El Judio Maravilloso. Boom. Anyone you want to be, just as long as you'll sell me some cheap real estate. Um, today's guest, out of control, is a quadruple threat. But before we get into that, you know who else is a threat? To the building department, Captain Permit, 516-513-8838. If you have a house that smells like cat pee, commercial property, anything real estate related, I'm quick, I'm easy, I'm low maintenance, I'm a good time, I'm all cash, I want to buy it. 516-777-SOLD. It's July 5th. We're a little banged up because it's July 5th, but we're making it happen Failure is not an option. Big things happen this week. Finally, after a year, that's right, people, a year, you want to talk about persistence of hunting down and working this deal. I got the contract in my hand. Feel it, look at it, smell it. It is there. Three acres, Oceanside, redevelopment, tons of possibilities. We're going to take you guys along the entire process in the vlog episode because you can see what it's like to take a piece of property, subdivide it. Uh, reposition it, build something absolutely massive that you can only dream about, but never had the balls to do, but we're going to do it because at the end of the day, I'm more afraid of being average than I am of being broke. So speaking of definitely not average, today's guest, like I said, is a quadruple threat. I'm calling him the Joe Rogan of Long Island, right? Long Island's Joe Rogan. He was a police officer, by the way, sir. Thank you very much for your uh, for your service. Thank you. All those years. Appreciate it. He's a powerhouse realtor. We've done a number of deals together. We have a bunch of deals in the pipeline. I hope we do a ton more deals for years to come. He is a comedian. He's an actor. And Lord only knows what he's going to get into uh, next. Frankie Faglia. Thank you for having me. From Keller Williams. Thank you. It's good to have you, man. It's good to yeah. see you. Yeah, likewise. You know, likewise I, um, so like I was saying before, there's like, I was thinking of like just certain topics and I'm like, i got to get Frank on here because... You're, you know, you've you've done a lot of things. You do a lot of things. You're constantly like growing, changing. You're like you're a great role model to other agents. So um, I guess I want to take it back a little bit. I want to kind of touch uh, briefly on your career as a sure. police officer. You were in New York City, uh, NYPD. Yeah, started out in. I like to say I grew up in Brooklyn. I mean, prior to that, I was I was with New York City. Did, EMS. You, grow up, did you grow up in Brooklyn? No, no. Uh, meaning um, that I was a young kid yeah. uh, from from Long Island. Uh, I went to New York City EMS in Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, so uh, uh, it's a whole different world, you know. Uh, at the time, I was a cop in Brooklyn. It was I was working the second deadliest precinct. Um, you know, it was it was. And it was, you were working now. It's uh, now it's all gentrified. It's million dollar homes. What year? You were a police officer from what year to what year? From from 1991 to 2011. I did 20 years and. So 91. I'm trying to think. So Giuliani Giuliani came in the 90s, right? I, I was um yeah, but uh, I was hired under Dinkins under the um, yeah. uh, that program he had. I forgot I forgot what they called it. I'm just trying they to were get hiring a, like 2,200 cops at a time. I'm just I'm just trying to get a gauge of like you saw New York City go from disaster, right? Yes. Like it was in that point in the 80s into the 90s. It only started to get better. Let's say what 2000. Or it was getting better the entire '90s, but it was it was a ride. Like correct, correct. Um, so like the precinct I worked in the seven seven, uh, that's all gentrified now. It's all million dollar homes, and and uh, um, that's um, the well, Crown Heights. It's like Crown Heights. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit of Bed Stuy. It's a little bit of uh, you know, uh, just kind of touches a little bit on everything uh, on, on a few different areas. Uh, but but like I said, I remember being a cop there. 
And we had a lieutenant that would say, he was off by the time frame, but he was right. He said, in five years, this neighborhood's going to turn around. Mm-hmm. He was off by about 10 years. Um, but however, still. you you could buy a brownstone when I was a cop for 250 yeah. Now, in that area, they're over a million dollars. Yeah. It's it's amazing how things change. It's still, but by the by the time you so by the time you left, it was already the prices were already going up. At they that were point. starting to. I, I left that precinct in two thousand six when I got promoted to sergeant, and okay. things were starting to, to, to change over. Uh, the neighborhood was starting to get a little gentrified. And um, were you in a car? You were out on your on the street. I was in a car. I was patrol. See, the interesting. I remember you and I had had a conversation um, about this. I don't know if you remember a while ago about just you. You're very. You're really good with with people in general, which is what helps you in your real estate career and the other things that you do. I'm kind of curious to know how that experience of being a police officer and what you have to do to, to deal with people, to talk them down to, you know, helps you now in your, in your business life. Well, exactly like that. Um, yeah, I kind of understand where people are coming from. Um, uh, I do have a little bit of, it's, it's, it's a way of explaining things. Like, like I don't, sugarcoat stuff I mean I'm not harsh to them but but when I have to tell them something it's 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 straightforward yeah and um, but I also know like if I meet somebody and they're, and they're talking to me about real estate I'll know right away if they're a serious buyer or if it's a seller that's got um, you know astronomical uh, price in his head that it's a waste of time and and uh, I don't have the fear of, of saying look I'm not the right agent for you because I'm not going to waste my time. Is that kind of level of street savvy? I, I, at 39 years old, I've been noticing lately. I'm, I'm like, turning a little psychic here. And, and I guess it's just from years of as you. One of the benefits, I mean, aside from as you get older, I have less and less hair. Well, it grow, <laughs> it grows where it doesn't grow where I want it to grow, but right. then it like grows where I don't want it to grow. Yes. Like, like I had a six inch long ear hair the other day that just yep. appeared out of nowhere. Um, but one of the good parts about getting older is you kind of get this spidey sense, and I guess yes. it's from all all the experiences in the years. You just kind of know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You 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 know your gut tells you everything. If you follow your gut, you'll never go wrong. The interesting thing about you also is I've known you for some time now, long enough to know, and I've seen you through enough situations to know that like you never lose your cool. You're always like it. I've never seen you elevated at all ever. I've gotten as I got older. Uh, I used to have a, uh, I used to fly off the handle, bad temper. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but as a cop, you have to maintain the control. Yeah. And you really can't um, lose it. So it, it's helped me uh, as I got older to to just. To, I also have a different outlook on life. I, mm-hmm. I look at things because um, as a cop, you're real cynical, and it, it, you have no choice but to be because you're only dealing with with. I mean, I shouldn't say you have no choice. It's, you it's choose how, yeah. but it's very hard. But, it, you know, you always had that feeling it was us against them. They're out to get you. Um, you know, cops only hang out with cops. And, and it's true. And, you know, firemen hang out with firemen because we feel we only understand each other. And the That's general public doesn't. Um, That's interesting. So you become very cynical. And you, and, but I've gotten away from that. I, I, I look at life a lot more positively now. Um, and you're, I, yeah, you're in a different space. Well, I mean, you got to think about it in, in all fairness. You know, people, yeah, if you're a police officer and you're in an area like that at that time, even if you're a police officer in general, most people you come in contact with are not super happy to see you. Not that it's you, but like, correct, something bad is going on. Correct. And and it took me a while to learn that um, it wasn't me 
that they didn't like it was what I represented. Yeah, they have no idea. They have yeah. no. They didn't. But again, I was young and I was you know I was 20, 24 when I became a cop. Uh, uh, and I just I was full of piss and vinegar, as they say. Um, what drove you to that profession? Just out of curiosity, I don't know. Did family lineage? Or... Well, uh, my uncle and 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 my cousins—they were all cops as okay. well. Uh, my dad was a businessman. He was a he was a stockbroker. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah he um, he was a stockbroker. Um, I don't know. I tried working on Wall Street. I didn't like it. Um, I always felt like I needed to be outside. I'm not a construction guy. I can barely turn a screwdriver. Um, but there was a I always had this this need to to be involved and, and, and get in the middle of stuff. And so I, I started as a volunteer fireman. Okay. I became a, an EMT, best job I ever had. I loved it. I went on to New York City EMS. And from there, I was like, this is a great job. This is so much fun. I, the cops will be even better. So I went on to, to, to become a cop. Mm-hmm. And um, also a great job. I mean, front row, as, they, as we like to say, it's a front row seat to the world's greatest show, you know? Uh, uh, <laughs> sure. So from so from EMS, I went on to the, to the police department. And then what, you did 20 years and you were I like, did 20 years. I went to work one night and uh, I was standing on the corner of 45th and 7th Avenue in Manhattan, Times Square. And I uh, looked around. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I was working six at night, uh, excuse me, seven at night till four in the morning. Even at even at sergeant at that stage? Yeah, because I was, at that time, I was, um, it was called Impact. Okay. Um, the new rookies would get out of the police academy and they would... Put them in, in in certain areas, and, and Times Square was one of them. So I was I was an impact sergeant. Okay. So they had them working basically. Uh, it was a modified overnight shift, basically. Yeah. Uh, so I did that. I just didn't want to do it anymore. So at that point, had you already put twenty years in? Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't your plan to like get in, and get out of twenty. Like there's like my there's certain people that get in. They're like, all right, I'm going to do this for twenty years. I got the benefits. I got the pension, and then I'm out. You just literally did it until you were like, I don't yeah. want to do this anymore. Like you yeah. had a re- like a moment where you were like. I just don't want to do this anymore. Right. But the really cool thing is this. So how much longer did you stay? When did you leave? So you have that moment, you're on the you're on the street corner, you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. When do you retire? Um it, uh, probably uh, probably a few months later because I had I had time, you know, like vacation time okay. that I needed to burn and I had um they called it comp time. I had time that I had, you know, when I you could, as a cop you could take your overtime in cash or time. Yeah. Sometimes you couldn't take. Sometimes they give you it, and they're like, "Listen, would you take it in time?" They couldn't make you do that, but so I would. I would yeah. build up time. Yeah. Uh, and so I ended up um, probably. I probably just made that decision like February, January, February, mm-hmm. and then um, by April thirtieth, I was out. Wow. So I want to touch on that for a second. I don't know if, for me, that's a really big deal. I don't know if if you give yourself a lot of credit for that because. of people would have sat down in the corner and be like, I don't want to do this. And then they would have proceeded to spend the next 30 years doing it anyway and hating their fucking life. Well, I I did struggle with the decision. You know, I didn't, as much as I made the decision, I, I, I'm trying to give you credit. Don't, don't, don't. No, no, I appreciate that. Don't take it away. It's (laughs) no, I appreciate that. But, but I ended up at that point is, um, uh, I was struggling with it a little bit, like, am I doing the right thing? Yeah, of course, and, and that's, then, that's only and, natural. And, and then I was like, you know what, that's it, I'm done. But at the end of the day, I mean, the, the time the time frame speaks for itself. Obviously, you know, you think, you go back and forth, you've done something for 20 years, that's a long time, right? Right. And all of a sudden you're going to just make a life-altering decision. How does it impact your finances, your family? What are you going to do next? What's the next stage? Well, that's, I after I after I retired, um, I retired in the um, in April, I figured I would play golf and fish 
got bored. It didn't work six out. Months, well, that didn't even work out because my wife ran off to work, and at the time my kids were young. They were eleven and five, or eleven and seven, something like that. Um, so at that point, she had she had been basically taking care of them full time. Yes, and that was like a like a and that was like a, a role switch, reversal. Which as soon as she ran out the door to go to work, I should have been suspicious. <laughs> um, you know, so so it was um, it was a tough decision. So I had the kids for the summer, and then. A buddy of mine suggested about getting my real estate license, and about a year later, huh. I got my I got my license that that um, that November uh, of ninety of two thousand eleven, excuse me, and uh, that's when I started working real estate. I was over at Century Twenty One, but it was about a year later that that I really started to struggle with who I was, because yeah. for twenty years I was I was officer filer, sergeant filer, cop, whatever you want, and I was just Frank. And I was like, I don't, I don't know who Frank really is. There's, um, there's two things really quick I want to touch on. A, I, I want to go back to the fact that you like, regardless of what you say, you made a pretty quick decision, yeah. which is huge. Like, I think that translates into your entire life of what I know you is. You take action all the time. Like, you want to do something, you go and do it. And I think that's so powerful for people to understand and realize. It's like, if you want your life to change, you have to change your life. Right. The moment you were unhappy. You made a conscious decision to change your life, and that's really uncomfortable, I guess, for for you, for everybody. But like, you you have to you have to do that. Secondly, your point, which is very interesting, I realized this not that long ago, maybe a few months ago, that I went when I was about thirty, I went through like a like a fork in the road where I was like, I was in business, I had a Mako franchise, and I was like, I'm not happy. Similar thing to you, just different different business. I'm like, what am I gonna do? And then I'm like, I found real estate, and I was like, is it gonna be real estate? Is it not gonna be real estate? Like, you know, what do I, what do I do? And ultimately, I, I took this, uh, I took this road. But it seems that, and now I think it becomes more frequently as the world changes that there's constant kind of forks in the road. Yes. Every maybe five or ten years in people's lives, there's gonna be a situation where you have to really like make a hard left or a hard right, and you have to be prepared for that. Yes. Yes. And. Uh... To, to do something and be unhappy doesn't make any sense. But every, and, but a lot and, of people and, do it. And I know. And they do it. And people have fear of change. People have fear. Like I have a friend. Um, he's he's an attorney. And he doesn't like it. But he he, he would love to, to be more in uh, like a, a sports writer or, or, or on a sports uh, radio show. That's interesting. And he's got great knowledge of sports. He's better than a lot of the guys that are already doing this on the radio. And But he won't... You know, his traditional idea is I got a family I got to take care of and, and I can't take this leap because if it doesn't work out, what am I going to do? And that's and what happens is everyone always looks at the what if it doesn't work out. I kind of look at the, yeah, I'll think about that if it doesn't work out. But then I say, but what if it does? You know, why, why do we always focus on what if it doesn't Yeah. when we should always focus on what if it does? I think that also depends on your support system as well. Like, I'm very lucky, so... In that situation where I'm like, what if it doesn't work out? I'm like, I get to go live back with my parents again. Or my mother, who cooks her ass <laughs> off and does my laundry. I'm like, this is awesome. Absolutely. So what do I really have to lose? Absolutely. You know, and, and I understand, you know, it, it, would, it might be harder for someone who's paying the mortgage and, yeah. and look at it. but uh, And has know, kids. Like, I, I get you it. You know, but, and, I, and I was fortunate because by, by retiring, I have the pension. So, you know, I, I'm guaranteed a check at, at, at the first of every month. So if I don't have a deal coming through or if I, if I take a chance to do something and it, it doesn't work out or I'm waiting for money to come, 
I still have that that pension, so it makes it a little easier for for, for me. Yeah. To do that. But I don't think. I mean. But I would do it anyway. That's what See, I was gonna say. I, like I, I don't think that that. I don't think the fact that you're like, okay, I have this check coming in allows you to be like, all right, now I can take risks. I think somebody, I always took risks. I think somebody in your position who wasn't like you would just be hanging out, check, collecting that check right. every month. I'm sure you know a lot of guys I, I that do. you work and, with. I do, and that, that was a fear of mine that. also. Um, you know, um, I didn't want to be my. You know, my wife used to own a bar um, in Merrick. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah, and there was a lot of old timers in there, and it was a great place, great people. Is it still around? No, it it, it ended up. Um, it ended up closing because the landlord didn't want to. She sold it. The, the lease was She up. took it back because, uh, and the landlord didn't want to give her a twenty-year lease. He said, "I'll give you the remainder of what's on there." Yeah. And the place needed to be cleaned up, and it wasn't worth it. It didn't make sense. Yeah. So we, she, she, he had another deal going on. That's what it was. Um, but good for him. Good for us. Uh, I didn't want to become one of the old timers hanging out at the bar yeah. all day. Yeah. And and I was afraid of that. And so I'm glad. Listen, we loved owning it. You know, she made a lot of great friends, but I'm glad it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, well, it ran its course. It had its time, and, and that was it. So yeah. then, kind of talk to me. This is an interesting thing. I didn't know this was going to go here, but I'm really interested to hear about it now. At so you, when you retired, you were 44, 45, 44 years old. Yeah. Okay. So oh, you were really literally like right on the 20 year mark. Yeah. You it was it. It, it was 20 and a day. So, what is it like to be? Because when I was younger, I was like, midlife crisis are bullshit right but now as I get closer to 40 and I look around and I see people and I see people like melting down I can see how people from 38 to like 50 have a real midlife crisis and like just fly off the handle depending on what their life has been like right right so now you're in that prime midlife crisis zone like danger zone right and you're like how do I how do I reinvent myself like who am who is Frank who is Frank Falia if he's not a police officer now? No, I'm saying oh, at that yes. point. Yes. Um, uh, and that's where, I, like I said, a year after retirement, um, I really struggled with, with who I, I, I didn't, I wasn't even doing real estate work. I was just kind of laying on the couch, literally. And my, and my wife said to me, are you ever going to go to work again? I said, I don't know. Um, I was just so unhappy not knowing who I was. And then it, I don't know what happened. It, I just got out of it. I, you know, I started putting the effort into the real estate. I uh, got a couple of deals uh, going, and 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 then I just started to realize, hey, listen, uh, I, you know what? Actually, it was a, a friend of mine who's a retired fireman uh, said to me. I don't remember the exact words, but um, basically, what he said was, "You had your time, and now it's over." So it was like, enjoy what you had. Yeah. Stop looking back. And and there's actually um, what what was it about? Was it about being a police officer? Or was it just a massive change? It was it was a massive change. I mean, okay. I was adrenaline rushes, yeah. um, the camaraderie uh, of of the guys uh, working in Times Square. I mean, it's it's the greatest city in the world, and, and there I was right in the heart of it. Uh, you know, it was just such a big change. Uh, you know, my life was also kind of structured because you, you had to go to work at a certain time. You had to stand roll call, or yeah. as a sergeant, I I did roll call. Yeah. Uh, this was my lunchtime. This was my, you know, and then, then of course, you got your calls and, and uh, throughout the course of the night to, to handle uh, jobs. Um, so your life was structured. Now, all of a sudden, I had no structure because I could do whatever I wanted, and I didn't know what to do. Yeah, it's, um, I, I mean, I experienced that similarly when I got into real estate. It's, it's almost unnerving to a certain extent because now you really, there's a lot more pressure on you to work and, and, and structure because, like, when I had the body shop business, I was there from 7.30 in the morning until 5 o'clock. 
snack, meal at this time, whatever. Like everything was very regimented. Yeah. Now it's your your days are your own. But if you don't set them up right, you're not going to get anything done. You'll, you'll get nothing done, and and the day will just be wasted, and then you'll just be looking like, well, what did I do today? But what really got you into real estate? It was my buddy. Yeah. Uh, said to me, you know, when you retire, you should think about getting your your real estate license, and he said. Because he's an attorney, he could pay the fee to the state and he's automatically a broker. Yeah. And we were going to um, start our own company. Nice. I was going to go work for him. So I said to him, well, before I come work for you, why don't I go work for one of these big companies and learn how to uh, be a realtor and, oh, and understand what it was about. And um, and that's what ended up happening. We obviously never, um, our plan didn't form uh, as, as we thought it would. So I, I stayed with, uh, at that time, I was Century 21. Yeah. Then I went over to a little mom and pop outfit, select a home in Merrick, which is when I met you. Yes, yes. and then uh, from there I went over to Keller Williams. Nice. So, so another cool thing that we were that I wanted to talk about. So you do that. You now you're into the acting space. You do stand up comedy. Stand up comedy. Yeah. And you use real estate to kind of like support your 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 lifestyle, your hobbies, your yes. this, your that. But I guess two things I want to talk about. A you're constantly outside of your comfort zone. You're constantly growing, constantly stretching. You're constantly, you know, reaching in general. These are new things. I'm sure they're not the last things. I'm sure you have a whole bunch of things in your life, like boxes that you want to check and things you want to try out, which is awesome. So I want to hear about that um, first and foremost. Sure. Um, I like to constantly, as you say, grow. And I like to, to always try new things. Uh, I don't necessarily have anything... Like I, I'm not like I'm not saying like right now. Oh, in a few years, I'm gonna try this. Or as things come up, is when I is is they just kind of hit they you. They just hit me. Um, so, I I like to move as I feel compelled. Okay. Um, That's and, interesting. You know, so I I don't I like even like with real estate. There's a lot of agents out there. They're prospecting and they're hitting it hard and they're doing great. I don't do that. I have a, a large referral network. So business just comes to me from from friends and family and. Uh, Mostly friends, not so much family, but uh, um, so I don't worry about business. Um, and then, like you said, the, the, the real estate supports my other hobbies, uh, the, the comedy and the acting. Mm -hmm. So it affords me the opportunity to do that. Um, but I started at 40. I decided I wanted to learn how to box, and I started boxing at 40. Yeah. Um, and then um, just recently, um, I started doing kickboxing. Uh, now I'm doing JKD, uh, Jeet Kune Do. Yeah. Um, so I'm always like to try. If something seems interesting to me, I'll do it. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, life is really about experiences, and it sounds like I mean, off um, off air before we were to you were talking about like how you you always feel like you're running out of time, which I can relate to because I I've, yeah. I've always felt that way. I mean, you had a, you had an event happen in your yeah, life yeah, which I, triggered that. Well, but. actually, I, I'd always had that. Um, like I always rushed through everything because I always felt like there wasn't enough time. And then uh, and I'm talking about as a kid. Yeah. You know, even though I didn't, I didn't necessarily live my life like, oh my God, I'm afraid that, that I'm going to die, or I'm afraid that I just, just always felt like there was never enough time, and not, and maybe it was because I didn't, my days weren't necessarily structured like or time blocked. Um, I mean, they were structured obviously through the jobs, but I always felt like that. And then, and then, um, I had the heart attack at 50. I turned 50, and then two, three months later, I had the heart attack, and and. Uh, Welcome luckily, to I, welcome to fifty. Yeah. Well, you know what? It was it was. Um, luckily, I was working out the way I did. Um, I used to train at um, 
place called TFW, Training yeah. for Warriors. It's now called Life. Yep. Um, Long Island Fitness. I forget exactly what it stands for. Uh, but thankfully, I worked out so much with them that my heart was very strong because the Widowmaker artery was 100% blocked. The artery above that was 70% blocked. Two other arteries were 100% blocked, and another one was 80% blocked. So, did you, did you have stents or did you have open? I have seven stents put in. Wow. So um, I also ignored my chest pain for four days. Wow. Yeah. And the night I decided to finally go to the hospital, I did a full Muay Thai workout, kickboxing workout. So With chest pains? Um, actually, ironically, I did not have the chest pain while working out because what was happening was you make deals with yourself. And, and, and so I would like the, the morning that I had the, 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 the chest pain, I first I thought it was indigestion because I had um, but me and my buddy stopped to get some pizza. Um after we did a radio show and we started to get some pizza and I, it was the middle of the night and I thought maybe I was having um, some some indigestion and I realized that it was probably a little more than indigestion so I said well if I because th- if you sometimes when you have a heart attack you'll throw up I just know this from, from having been an EMT and, that makes sense um, and I said well if I throw up I'll go to the hospital actually that actually makes it even crazier you have the medical training and experience to know what's and going on and I knew on. exactly what was going on and you I just, just chose just, to ignore it you just didn't want to deal with it I didn't want to deal with it so so I made a deal with myself so if I throw up I'll, I'll we'll call the ambulance well I didn't throw up so the chest pain goes away the next day I'm at, I'm at the office and I'm getting chest pain and I said alright I'm going to go to the hospital I said, but I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna go home. I, this is what you think about. It. I said, I'm out. I, I'm not gonna be able to find parking at the hospital. So let me go home and I'll call the ambulance. What? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So, so, so then I, I go home and I said, right, I'm gonna sit on the couch and if, the, and if the chest pain goes away, I'm not gonna go to the hospital. Well, it went away. The next day, I'm in Queens at a at a, um, a class that we were taking in um, with Keller Williams and. Uh, I'm getting chest pain and I'm sweating and I know exactly what's going on. Give like, the arm the tingly arm. No, thing? I didn't have that. Okay. Um, I just I, I swear I knew exactly. So I, I left the room and I sat down and uh, a lot of this was would happen would be after eating. So as much as I knew it was a heart attack, this like, is oh, maybe was, it's indigestion. Well, that's what was happening was I was convincing myself because it was happening after I ate. So I said, yeah. oh, it's not a heart attack, and I knew damn well that it was a heart attack. So I ended up. Um, Getting the chest pain, it goes away. I drive home to Queens, but on my way home, I call my doctor and I said, "Look, I said I've been, I've been getting some chest pains. Can I come in?" So they're like, "Yeah, come in tomorrow." Then they call me right back, like, "Look, if you have chest pain, you should you should go to the to the hospital." I said, "Well, I don't have chest pain right now. I'll just come in tomorrow." Well, I woke up in the morning, no chest pain, nothing. So I was like, "I don't even go to the doctor." Went to the gym. I came home and everything was was bothering me. Like, I, I walked in the house. My daughter, I have a chair that I like to sit in. She was sitting in my chair. It was bothering me. My dog came over to, to be pet, and it was bothering me. My favorite TV show was on television. It was bothering me. So, like, I was, now now it's the anxiety and the, and the uh, was, was kicking in. So my wife's like, oh, you're very pale. So I said, I'm just going to go up and take a shower. And like I said, it just worked out. And, um, and I also knew something wasn't right because I actually, and I never cut my workouts. Um... And I actually told my trainer that day, ten minutes before the hour was up, I said, "I said I'm done." He said, "All right, go on, just go home and relax." And uh, so I, I never, never stopped my workouts. I work right to the end. So I get home. And I said, "I'm going to take a shower." And I get in the shower, and and I feel better. And, and I come down. And I, was, I told my wife, "I said, look, I said 
you have to call the ambulance. I'm having a heart attack here. So um, um, I went to the went to the ambulance. The ambulance shows up. I walked out to the ambulance. Um, you know, and then uh, I just went in there. I said, "Look, I'm having a heart attack. You're gonna have to start a line." And uh, I mean, he knew what he was doing. He's a he's a, a paramedic, yeah. but uh, you know, were they looking at you like, did, like they believed you? Or? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, t- I told him my background, and I you know I told him everything was going on. So I went over to South Nassau, and um, they um, took a chest X-ray, and, and uh, they're like, "Yeah, you." And they said, "We're gonna put, gonna try to put stents in. If we can't do that, you're going right over to like, Saint, Saint Francis. Francis." But fortunately, they were able to do the stents. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, so I'm lucky to be alive. I'm happy to be alive. Um, so I, you never actually had the full, the full blown heart attack. You no, I did. Oh, you actually like all that chest pain was all heart attack. I'm okay. lucky there's no there was no there's no damage. Yeah, you know, um, so they put the seven stents in because the arteries were all clogged, and uh, so and they said they were clogged for a while. How? Um, so you're just really lucky. I am. How does a situation like that kind of change your perspective? Well, you realize that there's a uh, um, there's a lot of living to do, and um, you know, I I I was a little wild. Not not like in trouble, wild, but just wild, and and I did what I want, how I want, and thankfully I have a wife that uh, never put a stop to anything that I wanted to do. Um, she supports everything I do, so I, I, I have no complaints there. Um, so what would happen is is now I was just like, um, first I realized I had to make some changes, but I didn't right away. You know, I was still eating not the best foods. Um, Drinking, I still drink. Uh, you know, I I didn't want to face now that that I had to change. Yeah. But I realized, uh, you know, did I have this like? I think what you're trying to ask me is like, now did I feel like, oh my god, now I have to live? Because, or just I'm just curious to know, know how um, it, how it changed your it, it, because I always I was always involved in doing stuff. Um. Uh. So it, it's not like oh my god like like I almost died so now I'm gonna go out of control and and try to make up for any sort of lost time it just um we were talking about a little earlier um a friend of mine had sent me a video of, from gary vaynerchuk talking about because again we were talking about running out of time and 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 he saw this video this frank this reminds me of you because you're always doing new stuff and it was that video that made me realize that I'm, we're all going to run out of time but it doesn't matter do everything that you want to do and if and and he would say, well, people would say to me, well, what if I die tomorrow? He says, well, then you die tomorrow. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it. But you know, like I said, I'm working on the acting, and and uh, I, I, my intent is to work and to get my own TV show and to be in movies and and to be on television. And uh, you know, so I'm working on that. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I'm having fun while making it happen. Yeah, so there's two things that just popped in my mind I want to ask you about. A, so I, I know you you started off with the comedy because I, I remember because I met you when you were kind of going into the yes. comedy. So I want to ask you like, so how did that happen? And then B, I want to kind of know what it feels like to go up on that stage for the first time. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's got to be as gut-wrenching of an experience as possible. Yes. And inevitably, like, failure is a part of life. You have to fail to succeed. So you Absolutely. have to bomb in order at some point in order to get better, correct, and get to the level that correct. you are now and growing to, so, so that I want to hear about that experience. All right. Well, I got into stand-up comedy um, 
I was always considered a funny guy, and uh, but I was extremely, extremely introverted growing up. Most people don't believe this; they don't remember it. My, like my friends, yeah, they're like, "No, you were not." So introverted and so shy, I couldn't talk to anybody. Definitely not girls, and and even talking to people, I, I was so introverted. So, but I was always a funny guy, and then what happened is working for for New York City MS, um, I realized I had to talk to people because mm-hmm. I had to diagnose them. And that started to to get me out of my shell. I also, um, a good buddy of mine, Brian McCauley, he's passed from 9-11 cancer already. But the, he um, he also, growing up, I've known him since kindergarten, um, he would help me. Like, he would, he would take me out. Like, we, he'd say, oh, we're all going out. You're coming. You know, as opposed to where I would be like, no, I'm going to go home. He's no, no, we're, we're going out. And so he helped me um, get out of my shell. And, and I, I really put it on him that helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so fast forward now, um, I was always a funny guy and I was one of those guys that would kind of heckle the, like I'd go like a comedy show and I would heckle, not like the, you, you suck heckle. Yeah. Like the comedian would tell a joke and then I would add something to that joke. It's called the enhancer. Mm-hmm. It's a form of heckling and it's, and it's annoying. Um, and now I don't do it anymore <laughs> since I'm on the stage. Um, so, but then I realized my son is, um, at the time was 15 and I noticed he was a little shy and I didn't want him to grow up like I did. Interesting. So we took a comedy class together. I said, let's, huh. let's take this, this, uh, stand-up comedy class. And I figured we'd give him confidence to talk and be in front of people and myself included, you know, uh, although I was past my shyness at that point. Uh, so, so we took the class together and we started doing stand-up. Now he's gone on to college, so he doesn't get to perform as much. And then I went, and I'm, I've been performing. But I remember my first night, It was it's the graduation show. And um, it was at the brokerage in Belmore. And I remember being so scared. Um, but, I, you know, there was no turning back. Um, so they, they call me. I go up on the stage, and um, I tell my first joke. And um, the crowd laughs. I mean, get huge laughs. And you could feel like like you were sweating. You felt like somebody opened a door and let a cool breeze in because it just it was just such a relief. And you're up there. I was up there for about five minutes um, uh, telling the jokes, and nice. I got laughs the whole time. So it was really good. What does that feel like? Uh, it's such a high. It's it's a euphoria. Like like uh, people should try it. I and mean, I'm not saying they have to go out and become stand up comedians, but they really to to stand in front of a crowd and give a speech or to to to, to do comedy. Um, it, it's it's such a it's 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 a, euphor, a, euphor, a euphoria because um, it was such a natural high and I would get a lot of uh, adrenaline rushes as a cop. Yeah. I wasn't getting them anymore. Yeah. Now I got an adrenaline rush. I was just so, gonna ask you that. Yeah, because I feel like so me in my life like I need I need action. Absolutely, like, and that's I'm, why I'm not stagnant because I need action. Yeah, you know, in in life, I, I you know, it's a different kind of action, but I need something to keep me to feel alive. Yeah, something that gets the adrenaline going. Yeah. It's like it, Absolutely. it's a need for and you. And for you, when, probably when you when you've been working on getting a building or a house, and 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 the deal's not working, out and all of a sudden you get it, or or you say, oh, I've been wanting to get that building, and all of a sudden it's up for sale, and you, bam, I got it. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure you have other other ways, uh, as well. Uh, so I need action. I need I need to because otherwise I feel st- like I said stagnant. I feel like there's nothing going on, and and then I feel like I have no purpose. No, I guess it, it. I guess it makes sense. If you're not like, if you're not 
driving or you know trying to achieve something it's like what what's the point in being alive right that's right that's and the, and and you know what what was that expression uh, life is a is a contact sport and you know i'm definitely involved in that and, and I'm, I'm not an observer i'm a full participant in life you know so the more i think about it the more it's like we kind of have these i guess biological and psychological needs of adrenaline interaction whatever it is and when you go through these different phases in your life, it's not so much what it was you were doing, it's the feelings associated with that. So it's like when you were a police officer, you were you were hardwired, to, you're a certain kind of person, you need you need action, you need adrenaline, you need right. X, Y, Z right. flowing through your body. Now that that's gone, it's like, all right, what do I do? You're kind of like going through physical withdrawal in a sense. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and that, like I said, that time that I was laying on the couch, I was trying to figure out what, what am I doing? Because listen, let, real estate's great. Mm-hmm. But for me, it doesn't give me an adrenaline rush. Yeah, you know, um, so I need I needed something, and so the comedy gives me the, the adrenaline rush, and and the acting, uh, you know, I love performing. And I guess another thing that I'm I'm just like kind of thinking of myself in the moment. Um, you get to the point where you've done something for a while that maybe the adrenaline wears off, yes. and you get bored. Yes. That's exactly right. And now you need the next the next fix. Yes. It's a little twisted now that I think it, about it. it. That's exactly right. Like um, one of the first businesses I, I started was a, um, a little messenger business. And I, I grew too fast. I outgrew my capital. So I ended oh, up... This, where was this? This, this was in the it, 90s. Okay. This was... Um, that's funny because my father actually owned a messenger service in Manhattan in the 90s. Yeah, mine was 80s based uh, on, on Long Island. It was called On the Spot Deliveries. Um, Good name. And... Um, I outgrew my capital. Uh, I didn't know anything about business. Yeah. I learned more about business in a year or so, or probably two years that I had that that business. Of course, you could learn a business school, but uh, um, so I outgrew my capital. I ran into the ground. Then my my wife opened up the bar, and we spun a little catering company off of that. Mm-hmm. It was great. I, I got to the point where cooking for 150 people was no different than cooking for four people. I got I, I conquered it. Yes. Uh, so so it didn't bring me any satisfaction anymore. So I, I went on to something else. I don't who knows. I don't remember exactly what I went on to from there. But uh, um, you're exactly right. It is twisted, and it is. Um, it's like a junkie that needs his high. I need. I need something. So so you're right. Once I get bored with something, I move on. Yeah. No, that's interesting because I I basically just learned that about myself through having this conversation with uh, with you. So that's so that's interesting. I'm I'm curious to know what's. What's what's the future? What's the future in your real estate life? What are the next you know? Because you're you're a young guy, you got a lot of time, right? Yes, I do. How? Uh, what's your future in real estate look like? What's what's the next adventure? What's comedy and um, and acting? Well, the comedy. Um, I, I just opened up, started my own little comedy company called uh, Remember the Laughter. So I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, good name. So so you can um, damn good. Name. You can. Um, Hire us out for corporate events, fundraisers. Um, you have a team of people. Uh, well, it's me, and then I get the comedians because uh, they all freelance. Okay. Uh, but what'll happen is I have enough people that if you hired us twice, you wouldn't get the same show because mm-hmm. there's enough comedians that you can rotate them around. Nice. So, uh, so I just started that. Um, as far as real estate, you know, um, I don't really put that much thought into a lot of stuff because like I said I kind of just live and as it rolls out it rolls out um, but I would say I don't really have any I'm not I'm not a traditional goal setter mm-hmm. uh, I just I think goals are limiting 
to a point where like, like and and then what happens is um yeah i should say every i i do make little goals i guess you call them that like like here my intent i said this to get my own tv show that's obviously a goal yeah uh, but i haven't said i have to do it by this time or i have to do it by that time no i get it um so I, I'm not really a goal setter. I just kind of let things go. So as far as the real estate is, whatever happens, happens. Do you see? Do you? Um, which is interesting. You're just you're living life. You're enjoying it every day. You wake yeah. up. You have a certain plan, but at the same time, you're you you going with the flow. Correct. Uh, would you say a lot of your a lot of the clients like did your career as in police and fire and EMS is that that kind of helped you with your network? Do you deal with a lot of people that are in that yes. space? Yeah. Um, a lot of the cops, uh, when I was a sergeant, I told you I was handling the rookies. They all got to a point where they started to buy houses. So they were, a couple of them hired me to help them buy houses. And then they referred me to family. And friends. Uh, and friends that, that, that were selling uh, or buying. So, so yeah, that absolutely is a great network uh, of yeah. people to have. It just comes down to the power of the network. Like, I remember my first mentor, Carl, always said to me, like, the power of your network is the most important thing. Yes. And a lot of agents now are like, they're struggling. They're like, how do I get business? It's like, you have to pick a group or multiple groups that you can get involved in right. that can then become a referral base. Right. I, you know, I own a, um, you know, I own a, a classic muscle car, 72 yeah. Nova. And just from that car, I got one guy gave me five referrals. Wow. He loved my car. We, I pulled into the car show. It was the first year I had it. Uh, it was probably five or six years ago. Uh, I got the car and he had a Nova also. And I pulled in, he comes over, he starts talking to me and, and we became friends. And I said, look, I gave him my card. So I'm just giving you my card so you have my contact information. It was not, I wasn't trying to like, oh, here's yeah. my card. I'm a realtor. And he, he's referred me um, himself. I, I sold his house. Nice. I helped his sister buy a house. Um, he referred me uh, a friend of theirs who sold a house and bought a house. And now his brother-in-law also just bought a house. It's five me. transactions. So, yeah. That's and, the thing. I think people overthink it, but it's, it's really that simple. It's opening your mouth to be friendly, nice, helpful. You know, don't be afraid to give people your card, and then you don't know you don't know where your next lead or referral is coming from. You don't, you don't, and uh, and and so now this guy, um, you know, we, we don't hang out, and you know, we we, we talk, and 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 uh, but we, we know, but he constantly refers me, and uh, and that's and that's what's important is 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 you want to have um, people out there that are I like to call it I got it out of a book, so it's not original. You you need to have an army of ambassadors representing you. So so every time somebody is out there referring you that's like an ambassador for you you know I got that from the book um, The Go-Giver okay and um, it's, it's a great book um, so to me it's more important to be referred than to just knock doors and, and yeah. send out mailings and say do you want to sell your house I mean it works agents do it it's just not for me I think the one of the important things to take away is and I've been saying this for years is the awesome thing about real estate is it can be whatever you want it to be it can be like, do you want to make millions of dollars? Do you want to be an investor? Do you want to be a realtor selling high-end stuff? Like, what's your purpose? Do you are you a teacher and you want to just you need some money to get you through the summer so you sell a few properties? It can be the best side hustle. Right. It can be whatever you want it to right. be, and whatever you put into it, you're going to get out of it. Correct. And and that's and that's why I I I like real estate. And listen, I like real estate just enough not to love it, and I love it just enough not to hate it. <laughs> okay, that's my own. <laughs> that one, I. I that's I, a Frankie file. That, yeah. That's that's a Frankie file one. Yes, um, so, but it it does afford me to do what I want when I want, you know, yeah. uh, and and it's nice um, because I, I can make as much 
I think it's probably the only one I can think of where you have unlimited earning potential. The only, exactly. the only job I can think of where you have unlimited earning potential. And, and that really, for me, like when I thought about you know, the different facets of real estate and I thought about you, I'm like, this is a perfect episode I gotta get Frank on because it's a little bit different than normal, meaning like you're, just, you're using it as, as a challenge, as a springboard, as a way to enjoy other things in your life, right. as a way to leverage your, your network and, and make money, it's it's a great thing. It's a right. good thing for, for people to see that real estate can be whatever you uh, whatever you want it to right. be. And and I, I also with with the different hot like I'm not a traditional networker. I don't go to to uh, you networking know after events. hour networking yeah. events and stuff like that because I've gone to them and the first thing people do is they walk up to you and they stick their card in your face and yeah. they you know not asking me who I am, not ask like when I meet somebody the first thing I, I'll ask them what they do and then I say well who's a good client for you because. I want to be able to refer you to somebody. Yeah. And and then, but when people, they just come up and they, they hand you their card, they, you know, that's not networking. No. That, that's, it's not the right way to network. You know, even on LinkedIn, somebody, um, I, I once posted, if you're just connecting with me for the sake of connecting, then don't. Then yeah. don't. Uh, you know, introduce yourself. Tell me about yourself. What is it that I can do for you? Ultimately, I'd like to know what kind of referral you can give me, but, but to just... To just connect with people, say, "Oh, I have I have uh, 800 connections on LinkedIn." No, it, stupid. It, it, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. Any good. And only one guy, and I give him credit, is an insurance guy. Um, he saw that he actually sent me a message introducing himself, mentioned that he has um, a lead. Um, he gets buyer leads, um, and that he would like to to sit down and talk to me. So we sat down. We had coffee. Turns out he's from Merrick, and we went to the same high school. He's a little younger than me, but nice. Uh, um, and and I was able to um, uh, I referred somebody to him for, for a price quote for the homeowners insurance and he has sent me you know three buyer leads and he said he goes I don't know how good they are it's up to you to, to work them of course but it's but, an opportunity but it's an opportunity so so even if he sends me a hundred and I get one or two it was well worth it you know uh, no it makes perfect sense people like and this just started happening recently with the podcast and stuff there'd be people that, um, I mean, I'm grateful that they want to do this. I'm humbled by this. But there's people that I don't know who just send me an email saying, I want to be on your podcast. And it's like, I don't even, I don't know you. Like, I don't know you. I don't right. know anything about you. Like, we're not even right. connected. Like, where where are you coming from? So I think, to your point, there's, there's a process by which you're supposed to want to get to know people to get to know them. Look, I've known you, what? Three, four years probably? Yeah. And it took us... Like a year and a half, two years to get our first deal together? At least. Maybe a little longer. Might have been even a little longer than that. So. Um, uh, you know, and now we got some other stuff in the works and, and you know, everything falls into place. I always say it's like breaking the seal. Once you break the seal. Yeah. But it's like you and I, we work together because we enjoy each other's company. Yes. We have a good, like, friendship, working business relationship. We laugh. We have a good time. Yeah. If you need something, I'm there for you. If I need something, you're there for me. And that's really what it's about. The business part is a bonus. It's great. But like in general, we, we have a good relationship. Yeah, which absolutely. Is what I and, think and that's people important. Overlook. Yeah, and and uh, you need to have some sort of relationship. It can't just be all business. And and I'm not saying, you know, we have to have dinner at each other's house and coming over for the holidays. We, you know, uh, you can have people in, in your in, in that you do business with that are like that. But you sometimes you just need to just have a relationship and, and know know a little something about the person. Exactly. I um I know. To, to close it out, I, I know that you you are mentoring and helping agents. You have done that. Is that something you're yeah, continuing I, I, to do now? I do um, because what happened was when I started in the business, um, nobody helped me. Uh, 
and I also found that every agent said they'll help you for a fee. Yeah. You know, oh, I'll, uh, I'll go on your listing appointment, but it's 50%. I'll, I'll do this. And I said, well, everyone's got their hand in my pocket. So I feel that you shouldn't be charging people stuff all the time. Yeah. You know, so um, I try to teach classes. I was teaching a little bit at Keller Williams, uh, which I love to do. I love teaching. I love, because uh, it's a little form of performing, you know, I get to interject my comedy and, uh, and a little improv there. Um but I, I enjoy teaching. So I have a, a, a young girl that's now working, uh, not a girl, she's a woman. Um, it's actually one of my, one of my, I sold her and her husband their house. Okay. Now she, she's become a realtor. Nice. And she's working with me and I'm, I'm mentoring her and, uh, you know, I'm giving her leads. I'm, I'm helping her build her business and perhaps we'll form a team. Perhaps we won't. We're not worried about that yet. My thing is to get her started up and running. Um, you know, so I give her buy leads. Um, yeah, I take a, a little percentage off of that as a referral fee because that's that's the norm in the business. But that's fine. Um, but when she calls me up and says, "Can you help me with this?" Absolutely. You know, and a lot of the young agents, I just tell them, "Call me." You know, if you have, uh, I'll go on a buyer consult with you and 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 help you speak to a buyer and and show you what they need. I don't need I don't need half your money for that. Yeah. You know, it's enough. So you gotta you gotta share with your with your brokerage. You know, uh, so so to start. Getting your hands in everybody's pocket. I don't like that. on everything. I know. I know. Um, how do if, if agents are interested in learning from somebody like yourself with your experience, how do they get in touch with you? What's the best way to reach out? Or if they want to book you for comedy, or if, sure. if if the next scout is listening to this and he's looking for a fresh idea for a TV show, how do they get a hold of you? And they can uh, reach me at uh, my cell phone. It's 516-644-3751. If you're interested in the comedy, you can go to uh, rememberthelaughterny.com. Love the name, man. Thank you. And then um, uh, you can always go to um, my um, real estate website, which is, um, I always forget it because I never go to it. It's, uh, it's, it's frankfeilerhomesli.com. That's it. Uh, so you can, you can go there. Facebook. I'm all over Facebook. Um, so you can, you can look me up on, on Facebook as well. Nice. Yo, you're a gentleman. I love you. No, always thank good you for having me, you. man. I, I, you know. I said um, I, I never asked to, to be on anyone's podcast, uh, but I knew I knew it was coming. I knew. Did you? You felt yeah. it? Yeah. You know, I, the old you put it out to the universe. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm kind of that guy. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Charlie's gonna have me on his podcast. And then boom. And and I did. I said it a couple of months ago, but I knew it was coming. Nice. I knew you would, and I'm I'm happy to be here, and I appreciate you having me on. It was cool, man. It was great advice. I hope people listen, and they and they and they take. From yeah, I hope it they like the show. Will. You know, I'm, so uh, I hope they weren't looking for me to do stand-up comedy, but uh, <laughs> there's a time and place for everything. There, there is, but uh, and uh, if anyone cares, I'll be at Governor's on um, July 21st, right. Sunday night. All right, maybe I'll maybe I'll get an invite this time. Yes, because I always say to you, I really want the invite, and you say. I'll invite you, and then you you don't. Well, I don't get to play the clubs too often, so it's not that I'm I'm not inviting you. It's um, a lot of the shows I do are charity fundraisers, and they're firehouse shows. But um, I will definitely send you uh, the invite. I'm there, Governors, July 21st. View of a house that smells like cat pee is dated from the 1960s. Has commercial property, land, non-performing notes, performing notes, anything real estate related. You want to call me five one six. 777 sold. If you have a permit problem, and Lord knows if you don't have one today, you will have one tomorrow. Think of the captain, 516-513-8838. That's a wrap.